This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Speak for Yourself. I'm Bucky Brooks. Marcellus Wally and Emmanuel Acho are out today. But I've got Rick Buecher and Eric Mangini with me. Let's get started with yesterday's big trade. Baker Mayfield is a Carolina Panther. After a trade that sent a 2024 conditional draft pick back to the Browns, the move puts Baker on the same team as fellow 2018 draft class member Sam Darnold. And a report says that the Panthers do not intend on trading Darnold. So, Eric, is Baker Mayfield an upgrade over Sam Darnold? Every conceivable. There we go. Uh, I can answer that for Eric. (laughs) Uh, Yes, he is an upgrade. How much of an upgrade remains to be seen? But, look, Buck, we love to trot out the fact that uh, Baker Mayfield has thrown more interceptions than anybody over his time in the league. But... What we don't talk about is that Sam Darnold is very close behind. (laughs) Only a couple behind and hasn't thrown nearly as many touchdown passes. I look overall, there's a reason that Baker Mayfield was taken number one in that draft and Sam was taken number three. I wasn't necessarily on board with Baker being the best quarterback in that draft, but I certainly did not believe that Darnold was based on their accomplishments and just their overall Uh, ability and I'm not talking about physical ability because that's to me where Darnold was given the edge by many or that we're even having this debate because if it's on pure production the numbers say that Baker is the better quarterback and if we're looking simply at accomplishments with their respective teams and I know that being with the Jets and then with the Panthers Darnold hasn't played the same level of talent that Baker has but Ultimately, you have to be able to do what you can do with what you have. I just, I don't see in any way, I can't make any case, Buck, that Sam Darnold is better or equal to Baker for all of the issues that Baker may have, uh, both as a leader and simply his ability to run a team from the quarterback position. Baker is an upgrade. Is it going to be enough of an upgrade? Probably not, but certainly, certainly an upgrade. Okay, so I hear you about on paper, Baker Mayfield is an upgrade, but it's a good thing we don't play the game on paper. We play it on the grass, and scouts are going to put these guys up side by side, and they're going to be fascinated by the differences between these two players. They're as different as cats and dogs, because when you look at Baker Mayfield, undersized, gritty competitor, yes, he has plenty of wins, has a playoff win on his resume, 
But man, that size difference is going to be challenging for evaluators to look past, particularly when he stands beside and he throws beside Sam Donald. And for all of Sam Donald's flaws, here's what he does have in his favor when it comes to the Baker Mayfield comparison. He's bigger, faster, stronger. He's a better athlete. And sometimes when you see that up close and personal, it can be hard for a coach to pull the trigger. And remember, the evaluation that you're doing as a coaching staff and as a front office is not with the entire offseason in play. You're talking about a six-week run, four weeks in training camp, a couple of preseason games, and then the head coach, Matt Rule, is tasked with making a decision on who is going to be the starter going into the season. If Baker Mayfield had made this move early in March, in April, where he had a full run to really develop the chemistry and continuity, learn the system, I would say maybe you could consider him an upgrade. But right now, Sam Darnold starts with a head start, and I don't know if Baker Mayfield can make it up by week one. So let's bring in our coach, Eric Mangini. Coach, <laughs> what do you think when it comes to the upgrade of Baker Mayfield over Sam Darnold? Okay, I think you might have hit the pause button on me earlier since since you like Sam Darnold so much. <laughs> I, I'm 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 on the I'm on the Baker Mayfield uh, starter and 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 wins the job track because uh, of a lot of things. When you look at every objective criteria, whether it's completion percentage, whether it's quarterback rating, whether it's touchdown percentage, interception interception percentage, uh, the fact that he's been able to to win a playoff game. All those different things means that 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 he's an upgrade. And to me, this was this was a great move by by Carolina. It gives them a chance to to look at him for a year. They're paying very little money. What is it? Four and a half million dollars. He comes in. He takes a pay cut, which means he's motivated. He's angry. He's on his second team. He he plays. It, it seems to me that he plays better that way. And I know there's a he's at a disadvantage in terms of learning the system. Uh, Sam's got the, the edge there, but he's played long enough and he's played with enough new coordinators to know how to, to, to be able to learn a system quickly. I think this is a, a really good move for Carolina. Now, I'd say the one issue or the one concern I'd have is, was this driven by management or was this driven by the coaching staff? Because mm -hmm. if it wasn't, if, if the coaching staff isn't on board, then he's going to have a hard time beating Sam Darnold out. If they're willing to give him a legitimate shot, I think he, he should be the day one starter, and he should be an upgrade. Yeah, Buck, look, the whole eye test thing when it comes to the physical abilities and the measurements and all that, if we were going into the draft, then maybe I would say that Darnold has an advantage, even though he ended up not having one, they going into the, the, to the same draft. But we've seen them play, and you can't tell me that for all of the physical advantages that Sam Darnold has, and even the head start that he has in the system, my number one question has always been Sam Darnold's decision-making. And all of that physical ability is not going to compensate for making the wrong decision, not seeing the field, throwing to the wrong receiver, et cetera. Baker, has, his decision-making hasn't always been great, but it generally, when he gets into trouble, is when he tries to do too much. If he stays within himself, and I would hope that in some ways, being to, to uh, Eric's point, being on his second team, being humbled, having a certain, I, I need to prove myself all over again, that maybe we're not going to have as much of that crazy gunslinger that got him into trouble in Cleveland. Because 
there we've seen times where he's been able to manage a game. And honestly, I can't say that about Sam Darnold. So that's why I look, if Baker comes in with the right attitude and right approach and, and to coach's uh, point, like if he's given the opportunity, I just, I don't even think this is really close in terms of what Baker's capable of doing under center compared to what Darnold has already demonstrated that he's not capable of doing. Oh, wow, man. I didn't know that Baker Mayfield was suddenly Pat Mahomes because he played so well last season when we saw him. I know we're going to talk about the injury. You wax poetic about Baker Mayfield. And then I looked last year, he had career lows in a bunch of different categories as it relates to passing. And let's understand this because I do think you make a great point about Baker Mayfield. If the Baker Mayfield shows up determined to be a great game manager, then Baker Mayfield certainly is and can be can be an upgrade over Sam Darnold. But if Baker Mayfield, the hero ball player, shows up, that's when he gets in trouble. Because the one thing about Baker Mayfield is when he plays within himself and he does it like it's scripted, he certainly plays well and he's made better decisions than Sam Darnold. However, there are times where I feel like Baker Mayfield sees himself as something that he's not, a high-end mm -hmm. playmaker who has athleticism to outrun defenses. That's when the turnovers happen. And so... In a competition, when you have Sam Darnold, who has a head start because he knows the system, and Baker Mayfield, who's trying to prove to the world that he's still the guy that was the number one overall pick, I just worry about Baker Mayfield trying to do too much. And if he tries to do too much, Sam Darnold's going to win the job by default. But, Bucky, in, in fairness to Baker, he played most of the season hurt last year. And the season before, he had 26 touchdowns and, and what was it, six picks or eight picks. So he's shown that he can be a really good decision maker. With Sam Darnold, he had every opportunity in New York to, to succeed. Everybody wanted him to be, to be successful. Then he goes to Carolina. They pay a really big price to get him. They desperately want him to be successful. They've given, he's, he's had two tremendous opportunities from two different teams. So, so to me, the, the information is what the information is in, in, in that situation where Baker has, has proven that he can, he can do it at a, at a successful level, at a playoff level, and now he's, you know, he's, he's angry, he took a pay cut, he's been humbled, he's got a new opportunity, he's on the final year of his contract, and, and they've, they've upgraded the team in Carolina. I think he's got a chance to, to not only be personally successful, but I think they've got a chance to be successful as a team. So I, I, This is also why I believe that he's going to get a legitimate shot at it, because otherwise, why do it? Why would Carolina do it? You got Matt Corral. You got the you got the quarterback, possibly in the wings. Your future quarterback. You got Sam. Like what? You don't need. They didn't need to bring Baker in unless they thought that Baker could do more than Sam did, or that they were off of 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 Sam at this point. And the price point is right, but. To go through all the machinations that they have in order to get Baker and to look past some of the questions that didn't make him uh, very popular with any of the other teams in, in the NFL, it kind of gives you a little bit of insight into, without having all the histrionics with Sam in Carolina, what they think of Sam Darnold, and they're, they're like... So how much is it going to cost us to get Baker? And, uh, let's go ahead and let's let's pull the trigger and let's go get it. You only do that if you don't like the hand that you're dealt at the time. You know, I think Coach and, Man, I think Coach Mangini made a great point. 
it really depends on who started the decision making. Is this mm. a management decision or just a coaching decision? Because looking at what Ben McAdoo said in 2018, he said about Baker Mayfield, I did see a lot of pro-style football in this college tape. And if you're short, you have to be able to make up for it some way, somehow. Personality doesn't do that. I didn't think he was a great athlete. This is the kind of like a pocket quarterback that is short and with small hands. That's what I worry about. So even though we're coaches and we want to be fair when it comes to these evaluations, I do wonder, can Baker overcome that first impression that he made on the offensive coordinator? So when coach talks about management mm -hmm. versus coaching, I wonder how that is baked into the evaluation cake. Coach, how do you, how do you handle that if you're a coaching staff who may not have been all the way on board with this decision? Well, there's a couple of things I want to cover. First, Rick, to your point and, and, and about his opportunity to start, I don't think Baker would have taken the pay cut unless they told him you've got a legitimate shot. And they had to be pretty compelling. It had to be a pretty compelling argument for him to say, all right, I'm going to bet on myself here And if he thought that he, he didn't have a shot. And, and also, in fairness to Ben McAdoo, look, as coaches, we make evaluations in the draft and one position that we we all constantly misevaluate, the whole league does, is, is quarterback, and we we see that lesson shown or, or taught to us every year by by Tom Brady. So it's it. Look, you may say something in the past, and then and have a totally different feeling about a guy when you get him in the building. I, I've I've had situations where where players have been thrust upon me, and and sometimes initially you're you're angry about it. But at the end of the day, we're all inherently selfish and we all want to win. And if that player comes in and shows that he gives us the best opportunity to win, and this is a coaching staff that, that's under fire, that they have to do the selfish thing, and, and that is play the best player to, to help them win. And, and ultimately, that helps them keep their, their job and, and live to, to coach another season. You know, Coach, this is fascinating because I don't know if we've ever seen two quarterbacks that have been closely tied together from a draft <laughs> class all the way through compete. It's only happened one time, and that was with the Oakland Raiders back in 1980 when they had Jim Plunkett and Dan Pastorini. We saw that played out. I won't say the Raiders won the Super Bowl that year. We'll see if Carolina can do that. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Aaron Rodgers is the reigning MVP, but Devontae Adams was a big part of that. The Packers have a new wide receiver group, including three rookies, but Rodgers sounds confident in the first-year receiver, saying, quote, physically, they're tough. They're definitely looked apart. So, Rick... Are you worried about Aaron Rodgers if he would take a step back without Devontae Adams? 
I'm not worried about Aaron Rodgers taking a step back as much as I'm worried about the Packers collectively potentially taking a step back. And I'm worried about Devontae Adams taking a step back. I don't believe that this divorce is going to benefit, it's probably going to benefit Derek Carr and Raiders more than anybody, but I don't believe as far as the group that was together in Green Bay, whether it's Aaron, Devontae, or the Packers collectively, that it's going to benefit them. I know, and I, I know this with Aaron. He's had a legion of wide receivers that have come through. Devontae Adams is not the first that he has had a great relationship with and has made them and they've made him all pros and league MVP. I understand all that. But at some point, a guy gets to a place where he has to rely on the talent around him as much as that talent relies on him. And my question is, at this point, are we getting to that point in Aaron Rodgers' career because of his age as much as anything else? I believe we've seen that with Tom Brady. Tom Brady, we saw it in New England. Wasn't enough talent there. Gets to Tampa Bay, he's suddenly a different Tom Brady. So he, he himself, Aaron said, Devontae Adams is the best player I've ever played with. You're going to take that away from him and think that there's not going to be any kind of impact, especially when I look at the receiving core coming in, incredibly unproven. And other than Lazard and, and Cobb, you don't have anybody who is by any means proven. And you guys would know more about the three uh, wide receivers that they drafted and their potential. But I don't necessarily see one of them and say, oh, well, that's the next Devontae Adams. And that, that's, a, that's a high bar to clear anyway. If there's one guy there that has the potential to develop, okay, but it's still potential that has to be developed. And the question remains, at this point in Aaron's career, is he still capable, as he has been over all these years, of making every wide receiver that he plays with look better than they look with any other quarterback? I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying we're at a, at a nexus in Aaron's career where it's fair to question whether he can pull that magic trick off once again. And, and I'm a big believer in, in the concept of, of great quarterbacks are force multipliers, and they, they make the players around them better. And, and I always get frustrated when people say, this quarterback needs more help, this quarterback needs more help. The great ones make the players around them significantly better, and, and Aaron's going to continue to do that. Now, that being said, when you have a great player and you're a great quarterback, that changes the equation dramatically. And Devontae Adams is a, is a great player. It's hard to replace 100-plus catches a season. It's hard to replace touch, uh, 10 touchdowns a season. And in addition to that, it's not like he was sneaking up on everybody. Every defense was trying to handle that problem. And what that does is when you've got to push coverage in, when you've got to make adjustments to a great wide receiver, that opens up everything else. And, and that's not a statistic that, that can be measured. But from a defensive coordinator perspective, when you've got a group of wide receivers and you can, you can cover them straight, you can cover them true, and, and, and the defense can play the way it's designed as, a, as opposed to having to take one guy away, that's such a better feeling than, than going into it, into it the other way. And I think that's going to be a real challenge, not just for Aaron, but it's going to be a, a challenge for the offense as a whole.
You know, Coach, I think you bring up something that is really important. You talk about force multipliers when it comes to quarterback play. You have to remember for the Green Bay Packers, the last 30 years, they've had Hall of Fame quarterback play, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and they've had a revolving door at wide receiver, but have continued to be productive. I think it's telling for Aaron Rodgers, without Devontae Adams, in 11 games since 2014, look, his completion percentage is up, his yards per pass are up, and his ability to get his passer rating up is important because you're talking about a guy who was able to take whoever he has around him and elevate it. Now, it may not be as dynamic. The offense may not be as explosive, and it may be a little more balanced in terms of the way that they play. But Aaron Rodgers has kind of been down this road before and had success. I think they tweak their style of play, and maybe they're a little more half-court oriented as opposed to being a fast-break offense. But I expect as long as you have number 12 at quarterback, they'll continue to get it done. I think it puts more onus on him to develop the relationships with the young guys, particularly Christian Watson. But with Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb, I think they have a nice starting point to the season. And remember, Robert Tunyon comes back after an injury. He was a big part of this offense two seasons ago. So here's the question. It's a matter of how are we going to measure the success that Aaron Rodgers has with Devontae Adams? Because, Buck, you just gave me percentages and completion percentages, and I would make the case that when he doesn't have Devontae Adams and he knows he's got a lesser core, he's going to play it a little closer to the vest. He's going to be a little more conservative. If he's got Devontae, he feels like, hey, we can make magic. I can take more chances with him. I can throw it up there and hope that he's going to get it. I can't necessarily do that with, with some of the other receivers. The other concern I have, and maybe this is the question for me, is less so am I worried about Aaron Rodgers? I'm worried about Randall Cobb and Lazard and, and, and the young receivers without Devontae Adams there because, to uh, Coach's point, like Devontae drawing all that attention opens up things for other guys, opens up the window for other guys, creates other opportunities for other guys. Who's going to be the 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 shifter who's going to force the defense to overload in in one direction that's going to make it a little bit easier for everybody else i don't know that that guy is on the roster right now so the 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 need for aaron to throw guys open on a more consistent basis without Devonte, i believe is going to be uh, of utmost importance so again like I'm not doubting Aaron at this point. I have no reason to think that he's falling off. But also, I've seen age impact. I'm seeing it in, in the NBA with LeBron James. The numbers look the same. The player is not the same because he doesn't have that same impact on the players around him. Well, it's it's not just in the passing game. It's also in the running game. When you, when you lose a, a great wide receiver and – and you can now handle the remaining guys with, with one mm. defensive back or, or more post-safety defense, then, then that affects the running game pretty dramatically as well. Green Bay's benefited from having that, that significant passing threat game in and game out, which opens so many things for, for, the, for the backs. So, so that's going to that's gonna be affected as well. And Aaron Rodgers does a lot of things at the line of scrimmage. And, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it, but there's a lot of uh, moving guys out, changing changing the play at the line of scrimmage, small uh, hand signals and sight adjustment, and, and subtle things that are built into the defense. And he's going to get really frustrated 
with those young guys because they're starting from scratch. And when you're used to just being able to look out at a guy, give him a slight hand signal or a nod of the head, and both of you know what's going to happen, and suddenly that's gone, that mm. that's a, a pretty limiting effect, too. And, and it can be frustrating, especially for an older quarterback. You know, Coach, you bring up something about the running game, and I am actually hoping that the guy who really feels the pressure is more Matt LaFleur because this is a great opportunity, in my opinion, for the Packers to begin to play a style that's more conducive to them having success in the postseason, meaning a little more emphasis on the running game, a little more of running the offense through Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, dictating the terms to the defense where maybe you can get some plus defender plus one boxes, and now you're able to maybe work those guys open because we've seen the Packers have won a lot of regular season games of late. But in the postseason, they tend to stumble, and a lot of their stumbles are due to maybe an over-reliance on number 12. Well, now if you start out the season where you are more balanced, you are running the ball maybe 25 to 28 times a game and not necessarily putting it all on Aaron Rodgers to throw it 35-plus times a game, you may get a different result at the end of the year because you have all of the pieces of the puzzle involved as opposed to just, hey, number 12 is going to throw it out to number 17, and the leftovers get the scraps whenever those are available. I think this could be a blessing in disguise. It may look a little ugly at the beginning, but I eventually believe the Packers may figure it out, and a more balanced Packers offense may be better. Remember, it's very cold in Green Bay. It's cold in those winter months, and when Vince Lombardi was winning, they were running the football. So maybe this encourages them to run the football a little more. All right, Bucky, you've taken this a little too far, okay? Don't <laughs> tell me don't tell me that the Green Bay Packers are going to be a better playoff team without Devontae Adams, which is essentially what you just said. Oh, hey, you know what? We're going to have more balance. We're going to have more balance because you don't have as much talent. You don't have as much proven talent. You guys both know this. Like, when you get to the postseason, it's a matter of, what can you go above and beyond in terms of your ability? Yes, you, you, you're running your plays, but then it really comes down to can your talent take over and make plays talent versus talent? And if I'm facing that, I would much rather have Devontae Adams in my mix than what the Packers have right now. So I like the idea that during the season that we're going to get everybody involved and we might – who knows? Hey, they might have a better – a regular season record as a result of it. But you're getting to the yeah. postseason. I want that dynamic player in uh, on my side, and there is no way you're telling me that that balance is now going to make us better if I don't have Devontae Adams as part of it. Yeah, a couple of things. I agree. I don't think they just gave him another $150 million to run the ball, you know, significantly <laughs> more. I think they're Thank still going to want to see him throw the ball quite a bit. And, and another point to, to follow up with Rick is I was with the late Ted Mark Broda um, in Baltimore, and um, he always used to say in big moments, think players, not plays. And, and in Green Bay's big moments offensively, you know, you could look out and, and think Devontae Adams, and, and someone's going to have to fill, fill that void, and, and I'm not sure he's, he's on the roster it, it's, or mm. he's going to have to – He's going to have to re reveal himself as the season goes on. 
Uh, you know what? Maybe I'm the only, only one that took the happy pills before the show today. But I <laughs> tend to look at the glass half full, not half empty. And the way that I'm looking at this is, uh, <laughs> Coach, we talk about this all the time. It's not just the offense. We have an opportunity to play complimentary football. So everyone right. has to raise up their level defensively in the kicking game. And then offensively, certainly, they have to be able to get it done. But heading into the year, the defense knows. They may not have the luxury of knowing that they're going to start the game out with 28 or 29 points on the board. So maybe Joe Barry gets this defense to play a little differently as they begin to play a little more conservatively on offense while the young guys grow. And maybe they open up at the end of the year. I'm not quite ready to say that the Packers are going to fade because number 17 is out. I told you, 10-1 and one when number 17, Devontae Adams, was not there. I am willing to say that the Green Bay Packers continue to find a way to get it going. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. A report says various stars have tried to get in touch with Kevin Durant to see what he's thinking for his next move. But he has, quote, gone dark and is not speaking with anyone who's outside his inner circle. I've got to bring in Fox NBA analyst Eddie House. So, Eddie, you're up first. Does Kevin Durant owe it to the Nets to stay? I'll tell you like this. I believe so. And this is the reason. Uh, you know, you sign a long-term deal to be there. And you should live up to the commitment, not only for one, one or two reasons. This is why. Uh, I think they've done everything. The organization has done everything they can to satisfy him. They brought in, you know, Kyrie's there. Kyrie opted back in. They got rid of James Harden. He wasn't happy with James coming in out of shape. I think you have to look at it at some point and say, okay, this is what I signed up for, and how do I help this situation become better? And it's not only because he owes it to them for signing them. I think this is what's going to happen moving forward with this collective new collective bargain agreement that's going to come up. T owners are stop are going to they don't like players holding them for hostage or the organization hostage, and that's what's happening right now. A guy that's went dark. We don't understand. We don't know if he's talking to the organization or not. It doesn't seem like that organization has a control uh, control of anything, right? Uh, with Kyrie situation, with the Ben Simmons situation, with the KD one out all of a sudden. So I think he does owe it to the organization just on the fact that they believed in him. They mortgaged the future for him. He was the future. So every time that I, I look at it, it's like this is looking worse and worse for the guys coming behind them. How does the owner sign players to long-term deals? And how do the players continue to have power in this league if they continuously, mm. you know, I want to say stab the owners in the back, but continuously them holding holding nothing. Easily the upset of the show so far. Eddie taking the approach that KD owes the Brooklyn Nets. I haven't heard too many players, ex or current, who have said, hey, yeah, you know, my allegiance or my loyalty is deserved because normally a player will point out the team's not showing me a whole lot of loyalty or allegiance they'll drop me or send me someplace else at the drop of a hat. But in this case, Eddie, I agree with you because this is a different circumstance. And I was, I was one of those guys actually who would carry the flag 
for players. When when teams were when when fans or the media would get upset with a guy who decided, you know, I want to go someplace else. I'm like, dude, you never know when the team's going to move you. You have the right to do that. The only thing you owe them is show up and do your job. Uh, all right. Beyond that, where you go and what you do with free agency, uh, have at it. But in this case, because of what you said, Eddie, I agree with you in that there's been a landscape change, particularly when it comes to players of Kevin Durant's ability, which is they're not just signing a contract. They're not just signing a big, fat, guaranteed contract. They're getting influence on the structure of the entire team. And, and let's, let's face it, those contracts are also bigger and fatter than they've ever been. I mean, came in. They arranged to make a trade so that he was on a sign-in trade so he would get more money coming in, some $140 million on four years, and then sign him to another four-year extension for another $192 million. I don't want to scoff at that money because it's become so big that it's created influence for these players. But when you not only say, I'm coming in, but I'm, I want to come in with my boy Kyrie, and I want you to sign DeAndre Jordan for four years, $40 million, like... Now it changes the dynamic for me. You're not just a hired gun. You're being given influence on how the team is being built. And so for you to dip while you still got four years on your extension, yeah, that I, I would say, I don't know that Durant, uh, whether KD feels this way, but as I look at, look at it, I'd say the same for a Kawhi Leonard in, in Los Angeles. Like you owe it to stay there and make it work because you asked them to do a lot of what has been created. I know, what are we talking about? There's no I in team. He doesn't owe it to the Nets. Look, man, I, I, I come from that AAU culture. If I don't like my team, I go play on another team. We're better players. That's what Kevin Durant is doing. I don't want to take all these losses because you know what happens? Then Rick Buecher comes up here and talks about my legacy because I can't get the Brooklyn Nets because James Harden isn't ready. Kyrie Irving is a part-time player. But now you're talking about me not being able to uplift my team. If I am going to get that kind of abuse, I am going to take it in my own hands. I'm going to go to a team where I know that I can win. And if I don't like that team, I'm going to force my way out and get to another team. I know we don't like it, but look, man, this is business. It is business, never personal. I like Steve Nash. I like Kyrie. I like all those people. But I am not going to continue to get attacked on Twitter and otherwise about my legacy because I only have two rings and I need more to be in the conversation with Steph Curry and LeBron and those other guys. No, I have to do for me, and you guys have to sort it out on the back end. It doesn't matter about his legacy because I think his legacy is pretty much set, right? And I don't think it could go backwards. I think his legacy is set. He's one of the best scorers, all-time scorers of, of the game. That's never going anywhere. He's going to continue to be able to score the basketball. He's going to continue to be successful individually. You say there's no I in team, but a team wins a championship. I don't win the championship. You understand what I'm saying? So what I'm trying to say is that at the end of the day, when you look and you signed up for this long-term contract, you and you said it is a business. Now, don't get mad when these owners come back and they're not going to take it out on you because you've made your money. It's the mm. people that are following behind you that are going to suffer from this when this new collective bargaining agreement comes out. Because I'm quite sure, and I know this for a fact, that the owners are going to draw hard lines in the sand and they're not going to budge. A lot of these owners, this is not their bread and butter. This is not where they make their money. This is a hobby for them, a lot of these owners. They made money in other places. So they can take a lockout. 
can these players? Well, some of them can. The top tier ones that have been causing the problems for everybody else. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I have to respect somebody's wishes and how they want to go about it. But you can never forget how you were able to go about it, right? Don't forget what happened before you. Don't forget the contracts that guys had to, you, you know, fight and, 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 and scratch and claw just to get some guaranteed money to have these long-term deals, to have the type of TV deals that they had. Don't forget that and don't scoff at that because I think that's what's happening. People are getting caught up in the moment and not understanding it's bigger than right now. It's about down the road. And I don't want to sound like the old, old head that's just talking about, you know, old man back in my day, because that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is moving forward and making it better for the people that come behind you. Yeah, but you, Eddie, you, but you, are, you know the feeling of not having one of those big long-term contracts and being one of those guys who now we got a lockout, man, like, what do you, I, I'm losing money in, in, a, in a lockout that I may never get back. That, and that's the vast yeah, I was majority saving, I was of saving players. My, I was saving my cheese, though. I was saving my okay. cheese. So well, I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't I'm not saying it. you were on that, but, but still, like, you, you were in a dicier situation than, than, than yeah. the guys that had those top contracts. Bucky, since you're personalizing this and you're talking as if you are Kevin Durant, I am going to talk to you as if you're Kevin Durant. KD, why did you leave Golden State? Why did you go to Brooklyn in the first place? You went there because you wanted to show that you could lead your own team to a championship. If you, I, I, this is where, uh, where Eddie is wrong, KD. If you go someplace else, like that's already going to be a mark against you because that's going to be you accepting, you know what, I couldn't do it in Brooklyn. I was given everything to get it done. I picked that place. I picked the coach. I picked my teammates and it wasn't good enough. So now I got to go to Phoenix or Miami, those that were on the doorstep and need that last piece. So I see KD where your legacy potentially could go backward. And while I give you a lot more credit for what you did with the Golden State Warriors and the role that you played in winning those championships. You ducking out at this point, it's not a matter of I'm going to find a better place and it's about my legacy. You went to Brooklyn to change your legacy. If you wanted more, weren't worried about that or you just thought championships were going to get you there, you should have stayed in Golden State. So that's where, KD, you need to stay with Brooklyn. Not as and, and, and half of it is because you owe it to the franchise. And I would say the other half is you owe it to yourself to finish this deal. Because if you end up winning one in Brooklyn or even just coming close, it will mean more than if you go carpetbagging again and go someplace else. Because that's going to be looked at as, yeah, well, he did it in Golden State. He did it when the, the plate was the table was set. But he couldn't do it when he had to be the guy. Don't give in to that, KD. Don't give in to that. You go ahead and try to get done what you, what you set out to do when you first went to Brooklyn. No, no, no. Those consolation prizes don't do me any good when we're having these conversations <laughs> down the line. You talk about I got close but didn't get it. Nope, nope, nope. My legacy is now I'm a hired gun. I am the modern-day Moses Malone. I am going to Miami, Toronto, Phoenix. I'm going to help them get over the top. Because if I do that to go along with what I did in Golden State, now you got to recognize me as an all-time great. I am the, the cherry on top of the Sunday when it comes to building a championship team. So, no, I don't have to worry about, oh, I'm going to stay with 
Brooklyn, and I'm going to worry about Kyrie not being able to do it. I got Ben Simmons. I never know if he's going to play. Why deal with all that headache when I can go somewhere else and just be what I've always been? I can be the sniper. I can be the guy to come in, get you 27 to 30 points a night, put you over the top, because we've seen what I've been able to do in the postseason. If I am Kevin Durant, I am looking for a perfect situation to allow me to win another ring and maybe another ring, two rings, so I can get back in that conversation. I am an all-time great, and I want to be recognized. And the only way I can do that, based on what the criteria I hear is, I got to win rings. I'm going to go ring chasing. I'm not going to worry about trying to build this thing in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Zion yeah, Williamson. Bucky, what you said what? what you said earlier, Bucky, though, about the AAU culture is like, Guys are renegades in the AAU. They go play with whatever team they can play with, whatever team is going to be the best, whatever team gives them the best opportunity to win. So with that mentality, maybe we all have to shift our mind and stop thinking that these players are like Michael Jordan or the players of old. They didn't come up in the AAU day. So now if you start shifting that mind in that mindset that you have, Bucky, I take a look at this roster that, <laughs> that Brooklyn has, right? You got KD, Kyrie, Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton, Royce O'Neal, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, Dayron Sharp, TJ Warren, Ed Edmund Sumner. That ain't, that ain't a bad getting roster. it done. So, no, that's not getting it. First off, that's not getting it done, Rick. We know that. That roster is not getting it done against those teams in the East that are up and coming, that are real hitters. You know, they're not better than Boston at all. Yeah. We know that they're not better than Boston. Will they be better than a Miami team that retools? We know Miami's always going to be there. One thing for sure, we know that Miami is always going to be competing year in and year out. They'll bring no-name guys in. You would be like, who is this guy? But he is performing for them. Now, does that make them a championship team? No, but would that make them a contender? Yes. I'm not sure that this roster, when KD looks at it, and then also the coaches staff, right? Do you believe in your coach? And that's mm. a big factor as well. Maybe that's something that's an underlying factor that we don't know about that KD <laughs> hasn't came out and spoke about. Did you just flip on me? Eddie, you just flipped on me. No, I'm not. I got I'm, you. Just went to the dark side. I'm giving you both sides of the coin. I'm giving you both sides of the coin. I'm Rick. saying, now let's take a look at what, if this is how KD is looking at it, if he's looking at it through this lens. That's what I'm saying. No, I, I feel that he should stay and at the end of the day, live up to that contract that they gave him. They bent over backwards for him. They brought his, his partner in. They brought James Harden in. They got rid of James Harden. And now he has to deal with this roster that he has. And that's the reason why I said he looked at this roster. He's like, Man, this ain't going to get it done. But, KD, you are part of the reason why the roster looks like this. It could mm. look a whole lot different if you weren't the one mm. uh, campaigning for it to look like this. See, Rick, it's a little self-awareness that KD is bringing to the table. He understands that he can't deal with all that mess that's going on there. So maybe I need an organization and a coach that can get it right so I can do what I do. Show up, make buckets, win rings. That's what I want to do. Zion Williamson recently signed a massive five-year extension that could be worth up to $231 million. He missed all of last season with a broken foot and said yesterday that he wants to prove he's a winner. So, Eddie, can the Pelicans count on Zion Williamson? Well, I'll tell you what they can count on. They can count on, uh, if he's on the court, his abilities, right? His ability to bring people into the stadium. He's box office. He's a marquee guy. He's exciting. He dunks the basketball. He plays with ferociousness. But those are abilities don't happen if the most important ability is not there, and that's availability. And he has not been available. 
And let's talk about the meniscus. You know, he missed the first 44 games. Meniscus, that's that's something to worry about. And I think we all were worried about his weight and how his joints would hold up. Um, he missed six hands due to six games due to a hand injury. Not really worried about that, but the foot injury. So you had a meniscus and then you had a foot injury, all lower body injuries. And we know that, you know, even though he's young, those aren't injuries that you want to be seeing early in somebody's career. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not holding my breath on the fact that you can say that he's going to be able to play 79 games, 75 games. It's a wait and see. I think they're paying and giving him that contract because somebody else would, and you would much mm -hmm. rather have him there in New Orleans because he's definitely going to bring people to the game because, again, he's box office. Eddie, there's no case, Buck. There's no case that I can make that they can count on Zion Williamson based on his track record to this point. He's been in the league three years. He's played a total of 85 games. He didn't play last season at all. And maybe what is most troubling, and I couldn't help but laugh a little bit as I'm watching the highlights, because when we see him shooting a jump shot, we never get the angle where we see the basket. But when he's dunking it, we always see the basket, because you know he's throwing that down. But if he's taking a jump shot, we don't know whether it's going in or not. And that is the heart of my concern. And this is brought up because he said that he wants to prove that he's a winner. Okay, well, Zion, if you want to be a winner, you have to be more than just a dynamic player. You have to be more than just a guy who attacks the rim. Uh, and look, we've never seen anybody uh, quite his size move the way he does and finish the way he does. But there's a reason why. Because 280 pounds over 82 games, landing over and over and over the way that he goes at the rim is not something that can physically uh, endure. And so what I've wanted to see, what I've been waiting to see is, and I had the same issue with Ben Simmons. Okay, so you can't play. That doesn't mean you can't work on your free throw form, your jump shot. Like there's a lot of things you can do, even if you can't get up and down the floor. And I have not seen or heard of Zion doing any of those things. Ben Simmons missed his first year, similar thing. Could have been working on his his shooting form, did not, and that's part of the equation. Because Zion, while he's labeled as a big man, he's six 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 seven. He's really dynamic when you put the ball in his hands and allow him to be a playmaker. But he has to be able to hit a mid range. He has to be able to hit some kind of a jump shot. He has to be able to impact the game in ways beyond simply tearing the rim down. Because at his size. That is not going to last. And not having seen any of that, no, I have no reason to believe that anything is going to change because nothing has changed to this point after three years about Zion Williamson and the way he plays the game. You know what, Rick? I'm, I'm going to send you some of these happy pills that I'm on because, man, it's just, it's just so much <laughs> negativity over here. I was talking about old school scout. Even though it's a different sport, Grade the flashes, because if they flash it, they can certainly do it. So if I got a guy that is one of seven to average over 25 points per game before he's 22, and in that category, I'm talking about LeBron and Shaq and Luka, I am mm -hmm. going to bank on him being able to do it. The other thing, you talk about his form and free throw shooting and those things, it's a different sport. Another coach told me, if you play to your strengths, you have no weaknesses. So if Zion Williamson can get to the hole and cram it down everybody's throat over and over again, then that's what I want to see him do. 
He may not need to expand his game right now where he's a dynamic athlete that can go off the bounce and get to the rack. And so I understand the trepidation. I understand the worry and concern about the injuries. But we've also seen guys who've been injured early in their career bounce back and be dominant players. Joel Embiid comes to mind. It was early, early struggles for him getting on the court. But when he did get on the court, we've seen him become an MVP caliber player. I am willing, like David Griffin, to bank on Zion Williamson's upside. I'm counting on him to be the player that he's flashed early in his career because I think that's the player that we're eventually going to see. And Rick, Rick, I think you were talking about his, his shooting, and I think that's the one thing, if you think about it, in basketball, that always can improve. We've seen guys come in this league that can't shoot a lick, all of a sudden be a serviceable guy from the corner and knock down threes. Um, the intangibles he have, you can't teach. The strength, you can't teach. The rebounding ability, you can't teach. So you could always work on, he shot 33% from, he's for a career from three. That's not bad. I mean, I've seen guys shoot worse, you know, that always have the ball in their hands and averaging 25 points. That's not just straight off dunks. You know, that's off a of hustle plays. It's to me, the only worry that I have with Zion is his health. Is can he stay healthy? Can he knock down, shed some, some of that weight? That way his joints aren't taking the brunt of all that because he's such an explosive powerful player that something has to give at some point and usually it is your joint so if he loses a little weight and I think that they're probably banking on him saying hey man take care of your body it didn't feel good sitting out of uh, all season last year you've seen your team in the playoffs with a chance to probably beat the Phoenix Suns if you're there possibly maybe going through his mind maybe fueling the his fire for the offseason to get right for the next year so I see why they gambled on him now what I myself Look at that and say, that is that something I want to give $200 million to? I will have to take a long time to think about <laughs> that. But where, where, where else do you go, though? Like, what else would yeah. you do? Would you yeah. let that go and somebody else? So I think you have to look at the numbers. You have to say we have to put a, a program in place, and he does as well, to make sure that he's right. But the numbers speak for itself. He speaks for itself. He's been box office since he's been a junior in high school. He has been box office. And... He, his numbers are off the charts. And and it and look, I, I hope that he has a long career. I hope that something changes. But I'm just looking at what we've seen to this point, and do I have any evidence that he's approaching the game any different than he has in the past? And, Bucky, those numbers were outstanding, but they weren't winning numbers. Like, he was getting those, and they were under a very, like, a very limited limited sample size they weren't winning when he was putting those numbers up and to his point he wants to be a winner so he's got to find a way how he can utilize that dynamic game and make it work for everybody around him and while certainly crushing it all the time at the rim does create a certain amount of gravity there's also his ability to defend and we've seen nothing on that end I mean, he's very incredibly made over. Not a great rebound. So the numbers are impressive in a lot of ways. But if, to his point, he wants to be a winner, he's got to be able to stay on the floor. He's got to be able to stay on the floor enough to be able to create chemistry with his teammates, especially now that they've added talent uh, with, with where the Pelicans are. Before it was, we're just throwing a bunch of things around Zion and let him go. Uh, once Stan Van Gundy stepped down. <laughs> but now 
Now you've got guys that are established, and he's going to have to fit in with them as well. How does he do that if he can't stay on the floor on a consistent basis? Oh, look, I'm so, not, I, I get to his you. end. Look, I'm not. I don't want to. I, 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 I think I just took a happy pill. I think I just took one. I, mean, I would <laughs> love to see this happen. I would love to see it happen for Zion. But getting back to the original question, can I count on it? Like, fuck. Just give me. Answer the question. Tell me why, why I should count on Zion Williamson overcoming three years of being missing more, far more often than he has been available. Rick, look, we've all been young men, and you go to a new city, you're in New Orleans, you want to sample all of the, the eats, you know, the crawfish etouffee, <laughs> you got the vinaigre, all, all, you got all that stuff right there. But now after three years, it kind of gets old hat to you. So now he's probably a little more eager and willing to go have a chef to make sure that he keeps his weight down. He now got the big contract, which he was pining for. He now is probably a little more willing to deal with the fitness and the things that he needs to do to get himself ready. He's heard the noise, and he saw his team almost take the number one seed to the brink. So now he has an opportunity to look around and say, my team is capable of winning. Imagine if I am there playing alongside Brandon Ingram and the rest of the guys, how good we could be. I think that internal pressure, that peer pressure that he has from his teammates, I think that'll get him going. Now, does it guarantee that he is going to be completely healthy and a complete durable player for the rest of his career? It doesn't. But when you combine maybe an improved work ethic because he sampled winning, watching his guys with what he's already been able to do, I am more than willing to count on Zion Williamson being the player that we think he can be. And, and what I think is, I think David Griffin took a look and said, you know what, the things that he can control, like, and we can control, is something that needs to be worked on. Not like we have to work on his game. We got to figure out how he can make shots. We got to figure out how he can fit in. Because to your point, Rick, when you said, like, how does he fit in? He fits in regardless because of the way he plays. He's not a guy that dominates the basketball. He's not a, a, he's not a guy that has the ball. He's not a ball stopper. He can go get rebounds. He can slash. He can cut. He can run the pick and roll. And if he incorporates a pick and pop, now he's starting to develop a game. You understand what I'm saying? So I look at, like, Zion is a young man. And everybody, we're so fast to, like, give up on these young guys. They're babies at the end of the day. Like, I hate to call them a baby, but, like, you're talking about 19, 20, 20, 21, and 22-year-old guys that everybody's saying, like, hey, let's just give up on them. No, they're still trying to find their way. So I think that David Griffin is looking like, I'd much rather try to work this out, and I'll go down with the ship trying to work that out rather than let that go and he blossoms somewhere else, and then I look like the fool holding nothing. Instead, I feel I understand where David Griffin is coming from, but you have to be able, again, back to the first thing that I said, the best ability is availability, and he has to be available for his team. Okay, so you guys have now changed it. Like, rolling the dice with Zion? I'm willing to roll the dice. Am I going to bet my house that it's going <laughs> I mean, look, I understand it, Eddie. I agree with you completely. He has to be available, but I think he's going to make the right steps to be available for his team because if he's available, there's, there's this any team guarantee is that we're going to dangerous. see the best. Dangerous. Baker Mayfield is off to Carolina and is leaving behind four seasons in Cleveland that were up and down, but included a playoff win in 2020. Browns GM Andrew Berry said Baker will, quote, always have a unique place in Browns history for what he accomplished. So, Eric. How will Baker Mayfield be remembered in Cleveland? 
Well, it's already starting in talking to people in um, that, that I come across. He's going to be remembered fondly. And he broke an 18-year playoff drought. He beat the Steelers in, in back-to-back weeks, and including a playoff game. He, he almost beat the Kansas City Chiefs the next week. He gave Juju Smith-Schuster a hard time about making fun of the Browns. He had good national TV commercials. There was, there was a, a different feeling since since he had had gotten here and he played hurt last year i think people respect that as well and the other thing is the community's trying to get their head around the deshaun watson situation and and that's that's going to take some time and let's say deshaun does miss a, a bunch of games and baker ends up starting week one in carolina and wakes up feeling dangerous and beats the browns i think that's just going to reinforce you know some of the some of the feelings that that Browns fans have for him, but he he did a lot of good things here, and and I think over time people will 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 remember him that way. You know, Eric, I've been very very critical of Baker Mayfield, but you're right. He's one of the best quarterbacks that they've had in modern Browns history. When you think about Bernie Kosar and Brian Seip, Baker Mayfield's slot is somewhere right behind those guys based on what he was able to do in ending the long playoff drought. Now, it didn't certainly end the way that Baker Mayfield wanted, but he did play well. He did get this team the attention. He did get this team into the postseason and show that they could win. So, yeah, I believe he certainly will be remembered fondly by the fans and the organization when both sides have had some time to reflect upon it. Ah, yes. I, look, I'm not going to argue with Coach. Coach lives there. If your friends are saying, hey, it wasn't so bad with Baker. Like, he got us some place. He got us a few things. I, I, I can't dispute that, but overall, let's face it. Baker Mayfield has continued the long line of disappointing quarterbacks that the Cleveland Browns have had because the expectations for Baker Mayfield were far greater than simply getting them a playoff win, than getting them to the playoffs. The expectations were far higher based on what Baker did as a Heisman Trophy winner and what he did in college, and that he was the number one pick, the first number one overall pick as a quarterback by the Cleveland Browns since Tim Couch Couch in 1999. And that he's going out the door. I think the price that the Carolina Panthers had to pay for him gives you an indication of how this ended up. And it's going to be remembered as much as anything else. They got him for a fifth-round conditional pick. That's not what Baker Mayfield was coming in the door, and that's not what the expectation was. So I am fully expecting that whenever the dude with the the jersey that has all the quarterback names on the back of it, that Mayfield's name is going to appear along with all the other ones, because you can say that he rose above all the other ones. And again, I would not dispute, dispute that. But I'm not going to judge him based on all the other quarterbacks in Cleveland. I'm going to base him on what the expectation was when they had the number one pick. And they were able to choose among all those quarterbacks and the team that they built around him and where they thought they were going to go, which was not nearly as far. And I believe, Coach that your friends in Cleveland would agree with this. They did not go nearly as far as everybody expected them to go when they drafted Baker Mayfield. Well, 
I don't think the price that Carolina paid is, is indicative on, on what the Browns felt they should get for him. I think it's more indicative on the price that the Browns paid for Deshaun Watson. They gave up three first-round draft picks. They gave up $240 million. They, they, they've committed to this, even though there, there's so many issues still unresolved, and that they had to move on from Baker Mayfield. And as we got closer and closer to, to training camp, that pressure grew greater and greater within the building, within the organization. And they just, they just at the end wanted him out. I really think they should have held him longer because someone will need a quarterback or someone will go into training camp and, and see they, that the quarterbacks on their roster aren't what they're looking for. And they could have got a much better, better price for him. But I, at this point, they just wanted to close that chapter. And, and I, I don't think it's indicative how they felt to him because they did pick up his fifth-year option. They did guarantee $19 million. They did at one point feel like like they wanted to to see more. So his his value now is more a function of what they paid and how they want to turn the page as opposed to how they necessarily felt uh, about Baker. You know, Coach, I think you brought up an interesting point in one of the earlier arguments when you talked about Deshaun Watson. I think a lot of Baker Mayfield's legacy will be determined on how well Deshaun Watson plays in Cleveland if and when he has his opportunity to play. Because if Deshaun Watson plays well and his team goes to the Super Bowl, well, then it's a different view in terms of what Baker Mayfield was able to do. Well, let's just say Deshaun Watson flounders and he doesn't play well and he's not the guy that plays up to the $240 million price tag. Well, then Baker Mayfield's legacy and his legend grows because then people will wonder, well, why did they move off Baker Mayfield when he ended the playoff drought? Why did we move on from a guy who was our former number one overall pick? So I think mm -mm. it's still TBD when it comes to his legacy, but a lot of it will be determined on what Deshaun Watson does going forward and if he's able to take this franchise to higher heights than the predecessors. You know who's going to have a bigger impact on how Baker Mayfield is, is remembered in Cleveland than Deshaun Watson? Odell Beckham Jr. That is one that hurts Baker Mayfield because he was there and it didn't work. And Odell's dad got into the got into the mix and gave you uh, <laughs> certifiable proof of my son was open and he couldn't get the ball from Baker Mayfield. And then what does uh, OBJ do? He goes to the Rams and he wins a Super Bowl and he plays a pivotal part in uh, in in them being able to ultimately get it done. So I look at that as being a huge, huge impact on how people are going to perceive what Baker was and what he accomplished in Cleveland. Certainly he did more than any, anybody has done in a while, but let's not pretend that there weren't all this, this other stuff that his relationship with the Browns. Now, are the, are the Cleveland people gonna blame the entire organization and take up for Baker? Because they got at odds. There's no doubt about that. And, I think with time, you guys are saying with time, it's going to get better. I think with time, well, uh, I'm not so sure. Well, it, it, it's not like Odell Beckham hasn't had his challenges with quarterbacks and organizations in the past and hasn't had conflicts. So I think there's got to be a little bit of an asterisk with, with him being upset with a, a quarterback and especially a, a young quarterback. And and we're going to see what happens when when Baker goes to Carolina. This is... This is a great opportunity for him because he's on a one-year deal. He's, he's got a, 
a chance to live in the world that he's been successful, which is, which is I've got to prove myself. I'm angry. I'm hungry. They, they like th this is the right right space for him to be in. And if he goes out and beats the Browns in in, in week one, you know I, I know it's it's one game and I know it's week one and and Deshaun Watson isn't playing. They're going to be up in arms here. And then it, it's a little bit like a draft pick. We're going to have to wait two or three years to really see what what the legacy becomes. But he he did a lot of great things. And, and he changed the way that people viewed the Browns in a lot of ways, both as, as a team and in terms of, of their, their likability and, and their national presence. And I think people in Cleveland respect that element of it. Coach, I just, I can't paint that rosy of a picture for what he's capable of doing in Carolina. I, I'm with you that he's better than Sam Darnold, but I'm not going to look at the Panthers as a team better than the one that he had with the Browns. And I know there was an injury factor there, but the idea that he's somehow going to shine brighter, especially when we believe that he's at his best, when he's just managing the game as a try as opposed to trying to go out and win it himself. That's where I think the rub comes in with the Carolina Panthers. He's going to have to lean on the talent around him. While I think they're better than they were last year, at least coming into training camp. I am not going to say that they're better, that their offensive line is better than what he had with the Browns or their running game or, or any of those pieces. So that's where well, Bucky, I, Bucky, I think might he's slipped. going to be remembered. It's it's some of this story still has to be told. And part of that story is going to be how he performs in Carolina. And if he, well, if if he and the Carolina Panthers win week one, then you are right. That is going to flip the story. But then we're going to be talking about the uh, we're talking a lot about the Cleveland Browns and what they are not. And I would be shocked, shocked at this point if the Panthers ended up pulling that upset. Well, well, Bucky might have slipped a couple of those happy pills into my coffee when I was off air. <laughs> but, but I was about to say. But but I, I'd say it, it's not just about how he does in Carolina. It's also how Deshaun ends up doing in Cleveland. If, if this thing goes south in a, in any way, it's it's going to be an unmitigated disaster for, for the organization. Look, it's certainly complicated for the Cleveland Browns right now. Uh, Baker Mayfield off in Carolina. You don't know what Deshaun Watson is going to do. And until it all plays out and we're able to see both quarterbacks, yeah, right now people are going to look at Baker Mayfield fondly in Cleveland. Toronto has been named <laughs> as a possible destination for Kevin Durant. And Yahoo Sports says, quote, the Raptors should leverage their future for Durant because he immediately makes them championship contenders. We're joined now by Fox NBA analyst and NBA champion Antoine Walker. For Rick, is Kevin Durant worth <laughs> risking your future? If I'm the Toronto Raptors, no, absolutely not. If I'm a team like the Miami Heat or the Phoenix Suns, maybe the Boston Celtics, team that's on the cusp of winning a championship, then by all means, yes, I, I'll spend whatever draft picks. Thank you, Utah Jazz or Minnesota Timberwolves for making it a very high number of draft picks that I have to give up now in order to get him. But yes, I am doing that. I'm not doing it from the Toronto Raptors because they're not one piece away. They're not on the doorstep. And I'm the Toronto Raptors where I generally have to overpay to get free agents. And let's 
not look at Kevin Durant as, well, we're going to lock him in. We've got him for four years. We know how that goes. Kevin Durant, there's no guarantee that he's going to want to stay because as of late, he hasn't wanted to stay wherever he is, regardless of what contract is or even the success that the team has. So I, this is not a great TV answer. It's usually we want to go yes or no when we're asked a question like this. <laughs> but I can't help but answer. It depends. When it comes to the reason we're talking about this, the Raptors, that they should go all in. Absolutely, they should not go all in. They have a nice, young, developing team in Toronto. That's the way you go about it. And then you may add a couple pieces. But they're not one piece away. Miami, Phoenix, they are. They should go all in. Anybody else? No. Rick, I'm surprised. You've been in this business long enough that you just you cannot answer this question straight. So I'll answer it straight for you. First of all, let's start off really nice and easy. That's Kevin Durant, 33 years old. But let's just talk yeah. about Kevin Durant. I know we all know his accolades, but sometimes you have to be reminded. We're talking about a two-time NBA champion, a two-time MVP in the finals, an MVP of the league, a 12-time All-Star, a four-time scoring champ, and a seven-footer that's 50-40-90. Of course I'm leveraging my future to get him. I'm giving up. Of course I am. Guys like this do not come around too often. You have to do it. If the team has an opportunity, I don't care if it's the Houston Rockets, even though they don't have a complimentary player to go to go alongside with them. He changes everything. He changes your dynamic of your team. He changes your fan support. He changes the price you charge for, for tickets. Everything comes along with this guy. So I would definitely leverage my future for him. And you know what, Rick? I think about a situation a couple years ago we saw when the Lakers won an AD and New Orleans made the price ticket really, really high. And I think that's when Ball, Ingram, Hart, maybe missing a couple names, Hunter. And I think it was a couple first round picks in that, in that deal in 2019. This was kind of reminding me what a team is going to have to give up to get a Kevin Durant. And if I have to do that, I'm going to do that because guess what ended up being an NBA championship for the Los Angeles Lakers by giving up those things. So, especially if you're a team like the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat that have superstars on the team or have a super star, one superstar with them, of course you leverage the future. You have to do it. Look, man, I, I think this is a rare instance where both guys are right. I love what Antoine is saying. The guy is a unicorn. You just don't find guys at seven feet that can do the kind of things that he is able to do on the court. But I do believe it's a little conditional in terms of, yeah, we talk about the Miami Heat, the Phoenix Suns, and those teams that are right there. Yes, he pushes you immediately over the top. And so those teams certainly have to consider it because as Antoine alluded to, the Lakers were able to do it, and then they got a bubble championship. They won it because they had AD. They wouldn't win that championship without AD. I am a little bit more intrigued on maybe one of those teams that are far down the ladder, but maybe he comes and immediately brings them back. And maybe because we talked about KD's legacy, maybe he does the LeBron thing. Maybe he goes all the way back home. Maybe he goes back to OKC because mm. OKC can offer the Nets kind of what they want, a boatload of picks. KD can play with all those young gunners. He can show. I saw Chet Holmgren the other day in Summer League. I know it's Summer League, but I saw some of that. That was intriguing. Maybe <laughs> they can do it and run it all the way back. And then that way, Rick, he can answer you in terms of the legacy and being able to build it while also having his way when it comes to being the solo artist in a big-time environment. Here's the great distinction with the Raptors and why they don't, they don't have to break the bank. 
to go get Kevin Durant because they are in a different place, actually, not just geographically than, than Miami and Phoenix, but they just won a championship just a couple of years ago. Miami and Phoenix are still hungry to get back there. Miami obviously has won it, but it's been a while. Phoenix has never won one. It makes all the sense of the world. You do everything you can to try to get that ring. So uh, that all makes sense. And you're right, Antoine. I don't want to diminish or undersell what KD is as a player and what he's accomplished. We also know that he's becoming a little bit unreliable in terms of, are you with me? Are you really with me? What is it going to cost me to have you with me? That all of that is up in the air. And uh, to the point that, yeah, getting Anthony Davis, they won a championship in the bubble, very unique circumstances. <laughs> but haven't they paid a price ever since? Like, and this is the Los Angeles Lakers. This is LA and Hollywood where you still have the opportunity to be able to attract talent once you have the wherewithal to do it. But the Lakers are paying for that bubble championship, and we don't know when they're going to stop paying for it. Whereas if you're the Toronto Raptors and you go down that route and you, and you give away all of your future assets, and let's say you don't have a bubble opportunity or you don't end up winning it, now, now you're stuck. Now you're, now you're going, it's going to be a cold winner for many seasons. So that's where I think it's, it is circumstantial and conditional in terms of who should break the bank to get KD. Do I think he can put another team over the top? Absolutely no question. Do I think that it's worth getting him no matter what, just because he's a great player and a box office draw? I'm less sure about that. And it has much to do with the certainty that KD is going to be all in with my team once I acquire him as much as anything else. Ricky, you said it earlier. I just think when you um, look at the Toronto Raptors, that type of team, it's hard for them to get a free agent. I mean, look at Kawhi Leonard. He was a championship. So you're saying there. that's why they, they should go get KD. Yeah, well, I'm just saying it's so hard for them. Yeah, they should go get him. Look at Kawhi Leonard. He comes there, wins a championship. They got a good team around him, and he leaves. It just Yeah, he leaves. It's just so hard to keep a superstar there. So when you get opportunities to do it, I think you do it. I think, obviously, Toronto, unless they're content with just being a, a consistent playoff team, they're probably not going to get a big-name superstar to come to Toronto. So I think that's where they have to look at it. But I'll say this, the last team that I think, and I thought about the 2019 trade, which was three teams involved in it, I look at Golden State. Golden State can make the same move right now. They have the pieces in, they, they have the young pieces in play. They have young players that maybe be attractive to a Brooklyn Nets. And they can win for the next couple years if you could keep that nucleus, that big three together and add a KD back. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if the, re the relationship is ruined. But it's, it's kind of weird that the Wiggins hasn't got his deal done. Jordan Poole hasn't got his deal done. I mean, you would think those guys would be, those extensions would be done by now. Um, they, they're supposed to be first priority, but we've seen Kevin Looney and some other guys get taken care of first. So I'm just throwing it out there. Durant's available. You gotta, you gotta take a hard, real good look at it. Especially these markets that are not able to get superstars. You gotta take a logistic look at it. This guy could change your franchise. Look, man, I, I should have had Antoine Walker on earlier because he kind of made my point <laughs> when I was saying that this is an AAU approach that Kevin Durant should take. Rick, I told you he's a hired gun. That's his legacy. 
He helps teams get over mm -hmm. the top. And so Antoine gave me an example talking about Kawhi Leonard went to Toronto. They're used to dealing with a mercenary. So Kevin Durant could go there. Also, the Golden State Warriors, as he brought up, they also brought Kevin Durant in to be the hired gun to get him over the top. I think Kevin Durant should own it. I think these teams that are looking for a hired gun should bring him on. LeBron James is 37 years old, and his Lakers did not make the playoffs last season. Anthony Davis' health is in question, and there's reportedly no traction on the deal for Kyrie Irving. So Russell Westbrook could come back next season. So Rick, can LeBron still carry the Lakers? Pass the happy pills. Pass the happy pills. <laughs> no, no. As much as it's going to disappoint LeBron fans, or it's going to make me out to be the LeBron James hater. No, he can't. He can't carry a team anymore. That's no look. That's no fault. He's about to turn 38 years old. Tom Brady can't carry a, a, a team anymore. That it, it's just at some point you need to have more talent around you. Can you be part of a winning equation? Yes, LeBron James could be part of a winning equation, but can he be the reason that the team wins? No. And I'm not putting the that he was in the scoring title race because, as we saw. Uh, he could score and he could score well, but that's not what made LeBron James special. He made others better and he created easy shots for, for others. And he was uh, something at the defensive end that had to be uh, taken into consideration. None of that is the case right now. Scoring is really the only thing that he did last year. And it's one of the reasons why the Lakers were an 11th place team. So if they can get defensive help, if they can get, shooting to create space, then yes, then I I can see where LeBron James can be part of a winning equation. But can he carry the Lakers? Well, yes, he can carry the Lakers to another 11th place finish. That's where he can carry them. But if you're thinking he can carry them any further than that, the answer is no. Rick, I got to agree with you on this one. And, you know, it's hard to say LeBron James cannot carry a team, but it's, it's, he's not at that level anymore. And what I mean by that is he's not a two-way player anymore. He's not great defensively. I mean, he's going to make some off-the-ball blocks, but he's not defending at that high level that we used to seeing LeBron defend that. Um, and then also, LeBron's durability is not the same. So when you talk about a guy that's going to carry a team, he has to be able to play 70, 75 games. If you looked at LeBron the last few years, now the games are starting to decline. He gets hurt a little bit more. It takes him a while to bounce back off injuries. And we know LeBron does the best job of probably any player in the league of taking care of their body. Um, but to carry a team and to get them over the threshold, I don't think that's LeBron anymore. He's a great piece to the puzzle. Uh, we know he can score the basketball, as, as he showed us last year. Got a high clip. But I talked about this yesterday on the show. The co-hosts and co-stars of this team have to come play, come to play and be motivated. This is by Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook getting better, taking accountability for not having great years last year, keeping that, but not so much Russell keeping his body together, but Anthony Davis keeping his body together and playing. If those two guys come back motivated, back at the level that we know they can play at, sky's the limit how good the Lakers could be. We could be talking about them in championship contention. They did get younger on the bench. They was not able to address something that I think is important. You guys have heard me say this. It's three-point shooting. They still do not have great three-point shooting. But they are younger, so they should be better defensively with some of the young pieces that they added to the team. But LeBron James carrying the team solo by himself again, 
I think it's that that time has gone and passed. Uh, okay, man. I, like I, I am not a Lakers fan at all. Anyone who knows me knows I'm not a Lakers fan, but <laughs> I do have this vision of the Lakers still kind of doing it like they did yesteryear. Meaning LeBron James is kind of like that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar figure that kind of gets them going and is big in the big time games that they need in the postseason. But you're both right. He needs assistance. He needs AD to show up. He needs Russell Westbrook to be liked and played by his coach. I think that happens with Darvin Ham. And AD has to be available because when they made the trade for AD, it was really to lighten the load on LeBron James. It wasn't to increase the load. We didn't expect LeBron James to be playing 37 minutes per game and averaging 30 points at this stage of his career. But because AD hasn't been available, he's had to carry more. So maybe if AD is available and he plays to his potential and the way that we've seen him play, like when they played when they won the championship, LeBron James still can carry this team over the threshold, but it won't look like the way that we've seen it look in the past, like he did in Miami and in Cleveland. He can't do it all, but he certainly can do a bulk of the heavy lifting if his co-stars show up, like Antoine said. Let's be clear. Anthony Davis can't just be available. He has to be at his absolute best. And this transition from him, from LeBron having to carry the biggest load to Anthony Davis carrying the biggest load, was supposed to happen coming out of the bubble. Yeah. Like, they took advantage of having that time off and being healthy and coming together at the right time. But the idea was, now it's Anthony Davis's. Now he understands what it takes to win. Now he's supposed to be the leader of this team. And that hasn't happened. And to your point, Bucky, as a result, LeBron James, even in these seasons that haven't gone well, has had to carry a bigger load than was ever expected. And the result has been what? barely get into the playoffs through the play-in, and then don't make the playoffs at all. So the idea that something is somehow going to change, I believe all of the off-season talk tells you what the, the answer to this question. And Malik, Malik Monk answers the question. Can LeBron James still carry a team? I'm headed to Sacramento, dog. <laughs> and... Laker, uh, Laker Nation, can you please bring us Kyrie? Can you bring, can you please bring us Kyrie? Well, why do you need Kyrie? Because LeBron James can't do it by himself anymore. And there was a time where talking to GMs and executives around the league, and he proved it a number of times. Like, you just need to get, give him capable players. He didn't need superstars. Just give him capable players, and he could find a way to get you to the finals. That's simply not the case, and it hasn't been the case for a couple of years now. And also, too, Lakers fans, just so they understand where me and you are coming from, Rick, I think what people also got to understand, the Western Conference is tough. Oh, you know, yeah. you got the Clippers coming back with Kawhi. Um, the Phoenix yeah. Suns, you know, they, they could be right in the mix. Memphis, obviously Golden State, Denver Nuggets. It's a different animal now. So it's not like you got to go through one or two teams. You have to go through five or six teams to get there. And, and I think that's the biggest thing where you can't leave LeBron James on that island by himself. And LeBron understands that and he knows that. So Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, take accountability, come back stronger than ever, and sky's the limit how far you can go because you know LeBron's going to be ready to play. Look, there's no doubt LeBron is going to be ready to play. We saw last year he was able to do it at a high level. But we all are saying the same thing. He needs the supporting cast to show up and show out. If they do that, the Lakers have a chance. If not, it's all over in Hollywood.
Tyreek Hill has been propping up to uh, since he got traded to Miami, but he recently took it to another level by discussing their chemistry on his podcast. Take a listen. It's going to be about 2 a.m. one night, and you're going to wake up, you're going to walk in your kitchen, I'm going to be washing your dishes. That's how good our chemistry going to be, dog. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're going to be like, Rick, what you, what you doing in here? I'm going to be like, man, look, I'm trying to get that chemistry and that bond together, dog, so you know where I'm at all the time on the field. So if I run a 60-yard route and decide to just make turn it into a comeback, I just need the ball right there, dog. So our chemistry going to be on point, man. Just believe that. <laughs> So, Rick, are you buying Tyreek Hill's confidence into it? Not for a <laughs> second, Buck. No, I am not. I appreciate the fact that we can have this conversation, you and I, being both, both being writers. And what do they say when you're writing? Show, don't tell. <laughs> Show, don't tell. Tyreek is telling me a whole lot. And here's the tell, is this is the way it's going to be. Why are you so worried about your chemistry? Why are you so worried about you're going to be so connected that he's going to be showing, you're going to be showing up in the middle of the night and you'll be wondering what, what, <laughs> what you're doing in his house. I just, he's trying to do too much. He's trying, and this is with anybody. When, when I can tell you are just really trying to sell me on an idea I lose sight of what you're selling, and I'm wondering, why are you selling so hard? Why are you working so hard? If it's there, then we're all going to see it. So you don't have to have this extravagant, he's more accurate than Patrick uh, Mahomes, my fevers. It, it, begins, it begins, what it gets is me beginning to think about what is your motive. Why are you working so hard? to convince me of this certain something and takes me away from what you're actually trying to convince me of. No, I, I actually am all in on this. I think the connection with Tua Tagovailoa and Tyreek Hill and the other wide receivers that they have, it's going to work because to me, this offense is kind of built like the offense was built at Alabama. Remember, at Alabama, they had a dominant run game that they always could lean on. They have that. Mike McDaniel is a run game guru. They're going to be able to run the football whenever they want to. That takes pressure off Tua. But on the outside, Tua Tagovailoa is an RPO Jedi master. I don't know if I've seen anybody as quick from snap to throw as Tua. Well, now you got playmakers around him. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Mike Gesicki. All these guys can make things happen after the catch. And when I think about Tyreek Hill, he can channel that inner Debo Sammy where he's getting the ball on the fly, running it. This offense has a lot of intriguing options. And because of that, I think we're going to see Tua Tagovailoa really excel. Think of him as a Vegas casino dealer, just kind of dealing blackjack. I think he's going to throw the ball around the yard like that. 